Thank you. Good morning. It's great to to be here, and it's it's great to see such a nice turnout. And I really appreciate that uh, Al-Anon is such a a big part of your AA Roundup. Uh, it, it's really really important to me and to Al-Anon as a whole. I'm sure um, we've heard some tremendous speakers this weekend, uh, Doug and Michael and and uh, Bob and you know I'm just I don't know whether I can uh, live up to that I'm just a little old housewife but you know maybe if I had some of that gin that you gave Bob (laughs) (laughs) when I got the program uh, in the uh, in the mail I think Esther sent it to me and I looked and I saw Doug and Michael and Lou and Cal, and I thought, gee whiz, people are going to think, aren't there any women at all speaking? And like, How many of you were expecting a guy today? How many of you are disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Cal. It's actually Kathleen, and I have a brother 18 months older, and he couldn't say Kathleen. When he was little, he said Kathleen, so it kind of stuck, and it got shortened down to Cal over the years, and uh, and when I met my husband Gary, then we became known as Calgary, and we were living in Edmonton. <laughs> we were living in Edmonton at the time, so it was really confusing to uh, to people. And uh, and of course, Gary had to learn to be really careful when he was talking, and he would say things like Cal and I were in the motel, and <laughs> he would get some some. Uh, funny looks. Uh. <laughs> anyway, I grew up in uh, Brandon, Manitoba, Prairie Gal, a farming community, and uh, so, uh, and back in the uh, late 40s and early 50s, the, the chief uh, form of entertainment was to, to go to the dance or to the movie and then have a case of beer and and go out to the car afterwards Um, and I should tell you that there were two uh, military bases close to my hometown and uh, my father you know warned me to stay away from those troopers of course that made them all the more attractive to me so I would go off to these dances that I wasn't supposed to to be at and uh, we would you know, have our dances and then go out at intermission and, and uh, we called it necking back then. I, I don't know what they call it these <laughs> days, but we'd go out and have a have a smooch and have our beer. And uh, one particular night, went out with with my date. Well, he wasn't just kind of picked him up at the dance. But <laughs> went out to the car and uh, to his car, and there was another couple couple there, and and they were petting, nicking, whatever, and, and we were. and uh, But all of a sudden I felt this other arm reach across and make a pass at me. And I you know, what an idiot. It was Gary, you know, but he's pretty darn cute. <laughs> so when I was to meet him again, it was up at the drive-in restaurant, and I was driving my father's big Buick. And actually, I think he was more attracted to the car than than me but anyway we got got chatting and uh, we started dating and it wasn't I think it was maybe only like six months after that that we were married and like I say most most of our date there was drinking 
And that wasn't a big deal to me. I'd come from a family where my father liked to drink. He liked to have his beer. He would even let his kids have the uh, foam off it. And I thought that was kind of neat. My mother was always, would always be upset. Daddy would come home late from work and she'd be upset and go off to her room crying. We didn't really see anything wrong with him. He was pretty jolly and he would give us his, the loose change in his pocket and that sort of thing. So we weren't really too, too, I wasn't too concerned about drinking. And anyway, I thought, you know, I would just, if that ever happened to me, I would just say, smarten up. So when I met uh, Gary's parents before we were married, his mother was, uh, she was a career woman. She worked outside the home and she was a nag. She, his dad liked to drink her too as well and it just seemed she was for, forever nagging him. I can remember driving up to their, their cottage and him stopping, or, or us stopping all the way at every beer parlor along the way and, and his mother, you know, oh Sammy, do you have to stop at, you know, nag, nag, nag. I remember thinking, gee, if I had a wife like that, I'd drink too. <laughs> so I kind of went into this marriage with with these kind of roles in mind, I, I certainly wasn't going to be the wimp, my mother. I wasn't going to uh, to be the crybaby, and I wasn't going to be an egg like his mother. So uh, that was how our marriage started off, and uh, I didn't do any of those things for maybe two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon I was doing the crying, doing the nagging, alternating between the two, some days, both. You know, in a very short, short time, I'd become my mother, worse, his mother. And, you know, that was how the, the next three or four years was to be. And in those three, three years, we had three children. So, you know, we weren't fighting all the time. And, uh, but the, the drinking was getting pretty serious. And, and often we would sit and talk about it and uh, I would say you know Gary you, when you drink you know you're fine up to a certain point and then you just kind of cross that line if you could just stop you know things would be would be okay and you know, okay that you know you, when you think I've I've had enough you just give me some kind of a signal jeez oh, giving me control kind of kind of like that so we would go <laughs> off to the beer parlor, they were called then, and uh, get our beer and our pickled eggs and with, meet up with friends and whatnot, and we'd have a few few rounds, and uh, he'd be getting a nice little glow on, and, and so I'd give him a little kick under the table, you know, and he'd smile and order another round of beer. And <laughs> so I'd wait a bit, and, and then I'd kick him a little harder, and he'd kick me back. Boy, it hurt. <laughs> You know, and then, of course, I would sit there fighting back the tears. You know, they would just be welling up, and and uh, you know, often wonder after I got into the program, uh, the second step, why I couldn't relate to it because back then we wore dresses and skirts all the time, and my niece legs would be black and blue from doing this so many, so many times, and just not not learning how useless it was. But uh, you know, so then we I'd wait till we got home. And you know, and then I had to let out all all the anger and the upset and say all the the nasty words that I'd wanted to 
I don't know why I couldn't get up and leave. I could drive. I had perfectly good legs. Why I couldn't get up and leave that setting. I, well, there must have been glue on the chair. That's the only explanation I could think of. But anyway, we'd get home. Of course, by that time, he was ready to pass out on the couch. But no, I'd have to poke him and prod him and tell him how angry I was. And it's not really a good idea to poke and prod somebody that's bigger than you and pretty drunk. And, but again, I, I did that over and over, over again. And, uh, you know, just not getting the results I wanted. Just things were just getting worse. So with having these, these three kids, there wasn't a lot of money for both of us to go out. So that was getting to be a resentment too. It seemed he was always out. He kind of put me in charge of handling the household affairs. So I thought it was holding the purse strings, but it, all, it was always amazing to me how just before payday, when you know we had limited funds, he seemed to, to get the drunkest. I really just couldn't, I didn't understand the buddy system that they had in the military there, I guess, and uh, you know, so things were, were really not, not going along <coughs> too well, and uh, I probably, we'd had a real, real knockdown uh, fight one one evening things really got out of hand and uh, I just I didn't have the courage to to phone the police and I ran running up the street to my my father and I kind of smile about it now because my father was a big man and and I think it was the spring or summer and he wore a flannel nightgown <laughs> and he came running down the street in this nightgown flapping to rescue his his daughter from this bad bad old drunk and I think a couple of my brothers came along but see they were all drinkers too so of course they just gave Gary the talking to you know and just you know you gotta cut down man and you know don't don't drink so much and it was never don't you know stop stop drinking and and of course he promised that he would and and of course I believed him I wanted to believe him it was about round about that time that uh, being in the military, he was posted to, or he had a chance to, to go to Germany. And to me, you know, I didn't know what a geographical cure was at that time, but I thought, I guess that's what I thought or hoped it might be. And I kind of had this fantasy in my, my mind. I'd known people from uh, the base that had uh, been over there, and our dollar was really strong, so they would have Putzfrau come in and clean the house and you could get your hair and your nails done every week and you know there was just all this money to spare and so I think I just thought I was going to go over there and just be laying around on my divan eating bonbons or of course there was there was never any money for any of this there was always money for the booze and and it was an alcoholics paradise the uh, booze was cheaper than milk, and, and you could send the kids up, up to the corner store for it, and, and he did. And so uh, the drinking really, really did get worse. And uh, going back to to that fight, that big fight we'd had before we left, uh, I thought often thought about separating or getting a divorce. But I'm a good little Catholic girl, and I thought you know you could get a divorce, but I couldn't. This this was going to have to be be my life but when we left my dad had you know said that if 
that kind of thing ever happen again, I could just send him a wire and he'd send the money for the kids and I to, to come home. So I sort of thought I had that, that ace in my pocket as a backup kind of thing. Well, the drinking, of course, did did get worse over there. Every uh, gas stop or, or beer parlor, we would call it, uh, there was one on every corner in the little town we lived lived in, and they were all called, well, by the Canadians, they were called the last chance because I had to stop there and have a drink, so it might be their last last chance. So uh, thing, things were, were really... Uh, Going along not not too well, and uh, after a few months, maybe six months or so of, of being in Germany, and uh, you know, I found myself pregnant again. Uh, you know, here I am with this guy. I'm beginning to hate, and things aren't going well. And you know, the only thing we didn't have any television, so I guess I had to blame it on that. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't, you know, and I needed just. Uh, that was kind of about the time that I think I just gave up. I didn't let go and let go, and I didn't know know about that then. I just kind of gave in, and I thought, this this is going to be my life. I'm just going to have to cook and clean and take care of those kids, and we'll even have sex, but I'm not going to enjoy it. <laughs> you know what? An alcoholic's idea of foreplay throws a case of beer in the door and says, Honey, I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) You've heard why an Al-Anon person doesn't smile during sex. She hates to see an alcoholic enjoy himself. (laughs) That's where it started with me. So that was, and my hair was long at the time, and it just kind of, that's when I became St. Catherine the Martyr. My hair was long, and it just kind of drooped down, and kind of like a cocker spaniel, you know, and I would run to the door to greet him when he came home. I wasn't that happy to see him. I was just checking his breath, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, I mean, and I was 27 years old. I figured my life was over. Three kids and one in the oven, as they say. You know, my life was pretty much over. And then, you know, he had the nerve to come home one day and say he was going to AA. Can you imagine my horror and my shame? You know, and not only that, he was telling the neighbors he was going to AA. How embarrassing! I thought I knew all about. AA, my hometown, always had a roundup or conference, and they'd be a write-up in the paper, and I'd always read that. Can I have some of that gin, please? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm just getting over a cold, so I'm a bit dry. So I thought I knew all about, because I read these stories and these testimonials that, uh, and you know, like it was these old people, you know, some of them were 40 and, you know, 50 and like really old people and what would be, you know, like I really would like it if he would do something about his drinking, but I didn't want him to, you know, I didn't want there to be no no parties or no fun anymore, but thank God he he took to the program and, and he kept going and he brought home all, all kinds of uh, literature and probably the big book and I would read all this because even though I I didn't think 
I liked AA or wanted him going. I sort of instinctively knew that it was was a good thing. I mean, he certainly smelled better and looked better. And uh, but uh, on reflection, when I looked back at uh, some of that reading, uh, I don't recall any mention of Al-Anon, but I do remember reading somewhere in in that pile of uh, literature that uh, alcoholics have a propensity to pick the finest, most understanding, sweet people for their spouses. I thought that was pretty cleverly written and pretty much described me and people like Bob and, uh, you know, that that was pretty much pretty much us and uh, I would occasionally go off with him to an open meeting when we could afford a babysitter and uh, if somebody was was talking and sharing and, uh, you know, I'd been in jail or lost their job or whatever, I'd kind of try to distract him thinking, oh, maybe he won't think he belongs here, but if it was somebody just like him, I'd be nudging him. (laughs) making sure that he was listening and taking it all in. So like I said, I had to keep up on my reading because I had to make sure that he, he got it right. <laughs> we had had that fourth child, a boy, our souvenir of Germany, and uh, came back to Canada, right back to Shiloh, Manitoba, right back to the scene of the crime back to my family and back to all his old drinking buddies so I just knew that that was the end of that that little uh, game and and that would uh, you know we'd be right back where we started and I was still pretty much the cocker spaniel Uh, I was not uh, I was just kind of tiptoeing around uh, like on broken glass or whatever just not wanting to upset the apple cart Anyway, he listened to his sponsor and he, he got in touch with A when he uh, got back to the base and they had a little breakfast meeting there Sunday Sunday mornings and after the kids and I went to church, we'd go over to this breakfast and it was one day of the week that I didn't have to, to cook and clean up, so uh, off we'd go to, to this breakfast meeting and there was uh, a couple there, uh, a man and a lady, and the man was in, uh, we have lots of men in uh, Al-Anon, we call them shaving sisters, and uh, there was this couple there, and uh, Ray and Millie, and, and they started talking to us about, uh, you know, did I want to come to, to Al-Anon, and, you know, like is that some, I didn't ask, is that some sort of auxiliary, but I, I, I assumed that it was probably some sort of auxiliary. And then Gary started, you know, maybe you should go, go to that meeting and see what it's all about. And I thought, you know, gee, what's he trying to say here, that there's something, something wrong with me? And, uh, but anyway, come meeting night, uh, every other night of the week, if I went curling or or bowling or whatever it might be. He wasn't any help around the house at all, but Thursday night Al-Anon meeting, he'd help with the dishes and help get the kids ready for bed and make it easy for me to get out. So I still had enough wits about me that I thought I could, uh, you know, have a night out. Anyway, so off I'd go to to this meeting and uh, one of the first things I heard at the meeting was one of the women said she was glad she married an alcoholic. 
I thought of Doug the other night when he said he was grateful he was an alcoholic to irritate the newcomers. I thought, surely she was saying that to irritate me. I wanted to run up and smack her in the head. How could anyone be <laughs> glad to marry marry an alcoholic? Uh, you know, I, in in my the state of mind I was in, even though uh, Gary was getting some good solid sobriety, he was getting better, and I was getting bitter. I still had no understanding of the uh, alcoholism. I, I didn't, you know. I thought now he's always out. I could really relate to our founder Lois, and you know, throwing her shoe at Bill in those damn old meetings because now it just seemed like you know he was just. Always at meetings and always had time for his friends and, you know, and now wasn't he supposed to be home and, you know, being super dad and super husband and those kind of things. I didn't yet know that that was going to take take time. It wasn't going to happen right away. So I went, went into uh, that Al-Anon meeting with a very, very closed mind and, and not only did that woman say that idiotic thing, her, her shoes and her purse didn't match. You know, like <laughs> I was very, very closed-minded and very judgmental, and yet I recall feeling because I think Ray and and myself we were the only ones with sober spouses. The other, I, I remember sitting there feeling quite smug that my husband was sober. Like maybe I had had something, something to do with it. Anyway, uh, um, I really didn't think I belonged at that meeting, and I didn't think there was anything there for me. Uh, I remember going home, and Gary said, oh, what step are you on? And I said, oh, step eight. And he said, well, you ever move fast? And I thought, <laughs> of course, all I'd done was, you know, well, I'd, I'd been to, like I said, I'd been to some meetings with him, so I'd already rewritten the steps. And I thought <laughs> the first one should say, Gary is powerless over alcohol, and his wife should be manager. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Gary, Gary needs to be returned to sanity, yes. And, and if Gary would just turn his will and his life over, you know, to me, things would, would work out. And, and step four, inventory. God, I had his, a huge big list of his inventory for him to do. And, you know, and, and like, when was he going to make those amends anyway? Uh, you can see I was just very, very close. My, I'm going to have to get my jacket. Sorry. Thank you. I was very close-minded, and so of course I wasn't getting anything out of out of uh, the meetings. The only thing I did right was I kept going, and I know now that I kept going because there was that. Uh, special magnet of love that's there in any AA or Al-Anon meeting and it kept drawing me back even though I didn't think I needed to be there. I just was going because it was a night out and they served lunch and and the best part in those early years was uh, after that raid, that black belt, Al-Anon, after he left, the rest of us would sit around and gossip and we'd, and don't get me wrong, this isn't what Al-Anon is about, but this is how sick I and some of the others were at that time, and, and so we would uh, talk about their, the alcoholics' escapades. And, and of course, I'm competitive, so mine always had to be worse, worse story than yours. If it wasn't true, I could make up one. And so really, there was, was no, uh, no growth for me. But 
one night we we happened to go to uh, a meeting in the neighboring town and <clears throat> I think it must have been because there were older members there like more stable members or the base group was transitory people were always coming and going and we were always all pretty pretty young uh, in age and in the program too so something something I heard at that meeting and I don't remember particularly what it was but uh, you see what had happened was in Germany there when I became St. Catherine the martyr and you know I'd put up that wall around myself like you know nothing was going to hurt me anymore nothing was going to bother me I just didn't care he could do what he wanted I just you know this was my life and and this is how it was going to be poor me poor poor me but you know that wall was up supposedly keeping the world out but it was also keeping me locked in there I was a my a prisoner of my own own doing and something that night happened something was said or something got through that sort of made a crack in that wall and so I remember going home fighting back tears all the way home and, and crying privately quietly to to myself and, and probably more profusely when he was gone to work but just crying and crying and crying I couldn't understand what was happening and of course what was happening was I was starting to feel you know I hadn't felt in in years I, I it, you know it wasn't safe safe to feel and, and you know what good was crying and and that anyway I'd already tried that crying jag business it never changed or or made any any difference so but you know when that those feelings were very uncomfortable at first but they were also the beginning of change for me it was probably maybe my first uh, awakening of of my spirit I'd been quite a spirited as a young girl I was next in line to two brothers and a family of six so it was pretty pretty capable and and pretty but I'd lost a lot of that during the drinking years I'd I'd really lost my spirit so I think that was was starting to come back and then I was more eager to go to Al-Anon I was getting more enthusiastic about it and I was beginning to see that I had to say I was powerless over alcohol and the alcoholic and that I needed to make changes in my life and I started trying trying to do that and I got got in service work <coughs> moving around from base to base they always needed a new group group rep so uh, but that was good for me it started because uh, when I came into the program I just come from you know having a bunch of little kids and uh, you know talking at their level or screaming at the alcoholic so you know just to even be able to read the steps and say words like anonymity and uh, and in that we we had a uh, another child and we finally had a, a girl and I told you I was Catholic and uh, so you know life was was moving along along pretty good he was busy with his program and I was busy with mine and we moved around probably every two years we would move away and it was was great to go to a new town and, and go to an Al-Anon or an AA meeting and you'd have these instant instant friends it was was really uh, terrific so uh, was, we were probably getting 
maybe seven or eight years into the program and finally the lump in my throat was gone but the lump in my breast wasn't going away and it was cancer and my mother had had died of, of breast cancer so once again at you know the age of 40 I thought my life is supposed to begin at 40 and I thought my life was was over and and at uh, first I wanted to just keep it all all to myself I didn't want to talk about it or, or share or practice these principles in in all my affairs I just thought it was uh, was my fate but eventually they the program got through to me and I found that if I did talk about it there's always somebody in the program that if there's no new problems in in this program somebody's been through them before before you and they're they're always willing to to help you and and I have to say the AA member in my life was terrific and that time period too I know uh, I know from him talking to people he sponsors and I know from talking to others that have go through something like this that's often a time that people go back drinking or they give up on Al-Anon or or whatever but uh, we were were able to get through that and thanks to to both programs I think it made us stronger people and we don't know why things happen to us but I think we go through these things to make us stronger to meet meet the next challenge in our life I don't know, is Jeremy here? Jeremy spoke yesterday at the Alateen and he gave a terrific talk. I wish it all been there because kids are really, really affected by alcoholism. And I know in my family, they were more, probably more affected by me than they were by the actual drinker. They could see what was wrong with Daddy. He just had too many of those brown bottles. What was wrong with Mom? She was always yelling and screaming and banging the pots and pans and uh, you know I'm and doing the nagging and crying thing. And I'm sure, like me, they thought, gee, if I had a wife like that, I'd drink, drink too. So uh, you know, we encouraged them, the older boys. We encouraged them to go to Alateen. They did for a short time. In the Maritimes, and whether they got that much out of it, they didn't stay with it. But I like to think that at least they they know where the help is if if they ever need it. And I remember one of our uh, cross-country trips, uh, driving down the highway in a big orange Allied van line. Truck went by, and my little girl was all excited. Look, Mummy, Mummy, an Al-Anon truck. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know they were were getting a certain amount by osmosis. Excuse me. So we got to the uh, uh, going back to the uh, with the the cancer there and thinking my life was over and then it tur- was turned out you know all right and until it happened again. Uh, good thing with breast cancer can only happen twice. But uh, I remember probably the one of the hardest parts of that was, uh, you know, having to go out in the summer and wear a T-shirt. You know, everyone's going to be looking at me. Everyone's going to know, you know. And I remember having to go downtown and meet Gary for lunch one day and passing a construction site. And the guys whistled at me. 
Wow, that felt pretty good. I don't know if they only knew. Oh, probably alcoholics. <laughs> but, uh, so the kids went to, to Alatine and uh, we moved around. We moved around a lot, like say, every, every couple of years and uh, we were busy with the programs. Uh, Gary likes to sponsor people and work with them one on one and like I said I've got involved in service work and I like like doing that and going to the district and the business meetings and the assemblies and all that that sort of thing. <clears throat> and uh so, you know, and kids the kids were growing up as they as they do and moving on. Our second son used to or when he was about 17. I used to, when the kids were young and when the drinking was still happening, I used to wonder, you know, which one was going to become an alcoholic or if they were all going to be alcoholics because, like I said, it was in my family and his family. And uh, But what happened was that with that second son of ours, he developed an illness called manic depression. And apparently that's an illness that happens a lot in alcoholic uh, Homes with alcoholism, and and I have a he was genetic predisposition to it too. My sister has that uh, problem. So you would think now, as being an AA and Al-Anon, we would you know know how to handle this. This would be a, one of those uh, things that uh, you know we cannot change. That, uh, but uh, for a long time, I know I did everything wrong. I you know, we tried to rescue him. We tried to to fix him. We tried to do all those things, and I would rationalize in my mind that, uh, you know, like with my husband, I could have divorced him. I I didn't, but with your child, you can't you can't divorce divorce your child. Your child is is always your child, and and it's the mother's duty to to take care of him to to make everything. Uh, Right, he was a, a wonderful young man, and he had had he would have uh, uh, you know there were suicide attempts, and then there would be long long periods uh, where he would be well and working, and things would would go along nice. But one one beautiful fall day, there was a knock on the door, and there was two young men about about the age of our our son, and they were in uniform, policemen. They'd come to tell us that our son had killed himself, and you know everything. When that happens, everything just kind of kind of goes quiet, and you you go on automatic pilot, and you get through it. And uh, as Bob said, with his experience, our our friends rallied around us and helped us and held us up, and somehow we got through the. The funeral and and the next weeks, weeks and months, and uh, just life just went on. About six months, no, maybe a year after his passing, I was speaking at the Burnaby Roundup, and I don't think I even mentioned my son this happening. And at the end of the the talk they had presents for the AA speaker and myself and they were pictures and I opened mine up and there was a beautiful oil painting and it was of the bridge my son had jumped off 
and I went over to the other speaker. He had a picture of another bridge, and I said, would you like to change pictures? And it sure did not tell him why. And uh, and then my husband and I, we danced the night away. We had a, had a great time uh, dancing. About six months after that, I started getting headaches and uh, just not feeling good. Just I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was, and, and I started going to the doctor, and uh, he couldn't really find anything wrong, and I would go back and, and almost demand another another test, because I, you know, I thought, I, I even was thinking, you know, if he finds some more cancer, at least we can, I can put my finger on it and know what, what is wrong, but uh, what I realized and time realized was that I just had not dealt with the grief of of losing our son. Uh, I never talked about it at meetings. I never shared about it, and uh, and I didn't know that now. But I, I know know now that uh, I didn't because I'd been in Al-Anon like almost 20 years at this time, you know, and I'm supposed to have it all together. You know, and I'm not supposed to have problems, and uh, you know. But uh, it's funny. I when I talk to my people, I sponsor. I say, if you've got a problem, talk to me. By, by talking about it, you cut it, cut it in half. I wasn't able to do that. I, I eventually I wrote a a little article and I sent it into our little magazine called the Forum, and it, it was about uh, the loss of my son and and the grieving and but you know the it wasn't titled the editor did that and he titled it a humble request and I thought hmm, I thought this was about grief and it wasn't till a few months later when the year end uh, farm came out and it had an index and it had my little article was listed under Step six and seven, I think it was that one about character defects. I didn't, and the humble request was that my pride had gotten away, my false pride. I wasn't asking for help once again, just like those old days when that wall was was up. I wasn't asking for help, and therefore I wasn't getting getting help. So I got so that I was was able to. Uh, talk about to to share this story first from the podium I found it easier I don't know with maybe a group of people I didn't didn't know a whole lot or or than I did in in my meeting and I don't mean that I talk about it at every meeting now but to not talk about it was not not right either so I I do talk and share about it and the amazing thing is that when I share it from the podium uh, again, I say there's no problem that I've had that somebody else hasn't already had, or you know, somebody said life life happens, and we've got there's I don't know where it's written anywhere in our literature that there's not going to be some problems and challenges in our life, but I do know that if we you know help each other with the program. Recently, I just uh, I think it was biography. There was. Actually, two quite quite well-known uh, stars there, and uh, they'd both lost sons. Uh, one was an accidental death, and I think the other might have been 
been a suicide and uh, these two parents had just they just kind of their their life was they just felt like their life life was over uh, you know they just kind of uh, not uh, judging them but I get it sounds like they just sort of sort of gave in and I thought you know I could do could do that uh, too but I think our program teaches that it's about going on it's not about giving in and uh, to me to give in that would just there would be no meaning to my son's life at all I think it's meant for me to be up up here and share that that with you and and to know that uh, you know you can with the program once again and and again I acknowledge the uh, alcoholic in my life because I know that can be a a reason for people to go back drinking it can be uh, a reason for for me to crack up you know but that isn't what I've learned in Al-Anon it's it's about it's about going on in in the face of all all challenges mostly uh, our life today Gary and I uh, were really fortunate uh, he retired early and got a nice pension and we've been able to do some traveling and uh, having moved around so much with the military we have friends all over the world really and and uh, from the program too and it, the neatest thing traveling is uh, we sort of drop in on the family and say hi how are you doing and then we go visit our program friends uh, it, it's really wonderful that way he re- when he retired uh, I was still working in fact I worked at the Al-Anon office part-time and uh, that was a wonderful experience to get those 12-step calls and direct people and on and uh, never knowing who who you might be helping and, and meeting some of them along the way perhaps at a, a meeting later on but uh, Gary retired and then all of a sudden now he's in my kitchen <coughs> I thought back to the years when I used to when he was out at all those damn meetings and I used to wish he'd be home and I'd be, better be careful what you wish for <laughs> in my kitchen <laughs> but you know once again in Al-Anon came to the rescue and uh, I'd learned communication and boundaries you know I used to <clears throat> back in the early years I, I never could understand why when I was doing the dishes and banging the pots and pans that he didn't know that meant he was supposed to come and help me you know like <laughs> I just you know, I, I expected him to be a mind reader, and of course he, he's not. So I had to learn to to ask for help, and, and like I say, set set my boundaries on on what I liked and what I didn't like. And of course, that was no guarantee that I was going to do them, but at least at least I could uh, to, could ask. And uh, so I we learned to uh, settle it by saying, "Look, dear, I married you for for life, not for lunch." So we kind of. Uh, Kind of worked it out. Uh, so it's been been an interesting been an interesting life. Uh, I always remember hearing uh, at an open meeting uh, an AA speaker saying about you know you can be really good at your meeting and and you can be doing everything right, but what are you like when you go home? And that's always stuck with me, and and not just for the alcoholic, but for for myself. What am I like? When I'm at at home, it's easy to practice the program for the hour or so that we're we're at the meeting. But uh, 
we have to do it in all all our affairs with the neighbors and uh, with the you know people we meet and that sort of thing. I, I can remember I used to get really upset if I was in the lineup in Safeway and and uh, the clerk was you know talking or chatting with somebody or, or not crabby or whatever and and uh, but I've learned from Ellen on to you know give her give her uh, the benefit of the doubt and think well maybe she's constipated who knows you know <laughs> not not be so critical and and judgmental because as I say I you know going to those early meetings and you know I was more concerned like you know did her shoes and purse match or you know was that the right haircut I, I was just so focused on all all the wrong things and I, I know now that a lot of that was you know if I could look at at others and see their faults I didn't have to look look at my own and like I say I was pretty much perfect when I came to the program so I didn't have to do a lot of work in that area but uh, there certainly was uh, work uh, work to to be done as they say uh, uh, your story should have a beginning a middle and an end I'll just back up before I get to the end this is uh, something I like to uh, share too uh, say I'm a Catholic girl and I'm kind of the original church lady so about three or four years ago uh, Gary said you know maybe in the morning why don't we just say a little prayer and maybe do a spiritual reading or whatever Ooh, I don't know it, it sounded kind of creepy but uh, anyway he started started doing it and it's it's really a, a special time of our of our day now we just ask for we start by saying thank you for for what we have uh, all the blessings in our life because not too long ago at his uh, birthday meeting uh, one of the ladies said oh I don't don't really uh, you know entertain thoughts of envy but uh, I said I really envy your life Cal and Gary you know and I thought oh yeah like what parts you know the the cancer or the losing the son or you know, but I know what she meant. I, I think she meant that because we have some serenity in our lives, and, and we've been able to to go on and overcome some of these things. And I'm I'm grateful uh, for that. But you know, that's something we have to work at on a daily basis. Like Gary's been. I often am not embarrassed when he stands up. But if I'm going to be speaking, and he, he stood up the night before for. 36 years sobriety I think people must be thinking well what problem she, could she have you know I mean uh, they must have it all together or if they haven't they sure they're all doing something something wrong uh, but uh, longevity doesn't doesn't guarantee uh, me having everything together I have to do it on a daily basis I have to be at my weekly weekly meeting used to miss meetings in the summer when we'd go to his parents cottage there it was the sun was up the water was nice it was a long way into town for a meeting and anyway we had quite a few years of AA and Al-Anon behind us so you know we didn't really need to go but you know within a few weeks we'd be at each other's throats I mean we would just uh, slip back 
so so quickly so I have to to remember that that it's just a one one day at a time program now I'm going to close and get to the ending I always have difficulty with an ending to my story because <laughs> I always think an ending is an ending you're over you're done and I think I've got a whole lot of you know I like I say I thought my life was over at 27 I thought it was finished at 40 and uh, I've outlived my my mother now who died at 51 and uh, you know I just kind of think maybe there's a whole stretch of life ahead of me so I don't know what the the closing part of my uh, the ending of my story is I'm just going to be living it one day at a time and thank you again to the committee for having me here one thing I wanted to do at the beginning and I, I forgot could all the Al-Anon people stand up please would you please Thank you. Aren't they a great looking bunch of people? You know, no wonder those alcoholics wanted yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much.